0: Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everybody. This is David, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. Last week, I interviewed Preston Rice of Madison Area Drone Service. He did a wonderful job talking about all kinds of different, obscure, but very interesting facts about drones. Um, things like, you know, if you took your drone and you flew it up in the air, took a picture of your neighbor's property, maybe your neighbor wants to sell their, their house, and you charge them twenty-five cents for the image of of the property that you took from up above. You can't do that as a hobbyist. That's against the laws, and there's like a a, a you know multi-thousand-dollar fine that goes with that. So the difference between a hobbyist and a and a commercial pilot. I know Preston is one of just a handful of commercial pilots in the area, and the deep level of FAA type training that they need to go through. Um, absolutely amazing. And two, the fact that one of the, um, one of the drones he had was the size of my hand and he said they're smaller ones. So I picked this thing up and it's small and yeah, it takes off. He can control it with a smartphone. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. It has like high def 4K camera on it. I don't even know what 4K is, but I know it's better than, you know, the high definition televisions, which are out there right now. So absolutely phenomenal. So podcast 41 today will be part two of two. With Preston Rice, and we're going to center that discussion more on search and rescue and disaster response. How drones fit into that? So, how drones can be deployed, or deployed, for example, to create a mobile hotspot. So, maybe it's some place where the cellular system has gone down, or there isn't a very robust cellular system. You could actually take, you know, a hundred drones, the size of again my hand. They could deploy and act as one network and, and serve as a temporary cellular network. Absolutely incredible. Um, we're going to talk about different parts of, um, for example, looking at 9-11 in, in retrospect. And if drones were available for some type of modern-day Sentinel event, what that might look like as far as like bringing in materials. Uh, one thing Preston will talk about is to, you know, a lot of areas might have uh chemicals clouds or or could be some radioactivity or something like that uh, where it's not safe for people to enter but yet you could bring a drone in and out of that area so amazing stuff he's going to talk about this is the future of safety folks it's it's the future of safety is the interface with drones the in inter- the interface with machine learning artificial intelligence um, how all this is going to come in? Where once we have uh, a sentinel event in the future, the very new f- near future, it's going to be significantly different than what it was on September 11, 2001, or before, um, because what we're going to be able to bring to this, and it, it's going to be commonplace. Like every every fire department is going to have a drone or a few drones. Um, they use these right now. Um, I did. I, I did. Did some again. Internet. You inter- know. Some research and, and found the drones are being used, um, by the, um, you know, forest, um, department, um, to find out where the hotspots are in forest fires. So they, they fly the drone over, does the, the heat signatures and, and then they can pinpoint where to, to focus, you know, the firefighting, but just so many ways farmers using drones to, to identify crops. But if you did have a disaster, how you could take a, a fleet of drones and, you know, we, uh, we talked about the uh, Joplin, Missouri um, tornado and, and how you know, that had, had been, you know, just devastated this large area. And I think, you know, only one fire department was left standing intact and eventually they, they prioritized. I mean, they did a nice job with, with, with doing the prioritization and, and got to the hospital with, you know, some of the equipment that they had, but whatever, um, you know, looking at if that were to happen today, whether it was day or night, I mean, obviously once the storm had passed, but, um, you could take a drone, a fleet of drones, identify a quadrant and drones could go out and do heat signatures. They could do images and within literally, um, you know, maybe a half hour, you'd have these monitors. You could be watching things. You could have uh, several square miles of information and, and you know, you would know exactly where to deploy. And if you had areas that were very population dense, like, a hospital or a school or something like that, you could get in there and get very detailed information. Um, and also, that drone could set up, you know, like a hotspot communication in that area. It, it, it's phenomenal just to think. But it's going to take rescue in a whole different direction. It's going to take rescue from, you know, like maybe 15 hours to do something like that, this typical like search of this this area, just to to get kind of a idea of. of of what the depth of the damage is, 15 hours down to, you know, maybe 15 to 30 minutes to get those images back, very high def images. And we're not talking from, you know, necessarily uh 400 feet up. I mean, we're talking, you can, you can bring that, you know, much, much closer down and, and the, the sharpness of those cameras and get very vivid images. Plus, you know, the heat signatures and things like that. It It's, it's awesome. It is absolutely incredible. We're going to talk, much more about that during this podcast. I, we actually went out in the field and, and did some demos. So you're going to hear me, and you're going to hear actually, you know, the takeoff and, and the, the buzzing. It sounds like a whole bunch of mosquitoes, which in Wisconsin you don't want to hear that sound, but um, it's, it's what it sounds like. And you're gonna you're gonna hear Preston and I speaking, and I'm going to narrate over top of that to tell you what's going on because at one point he actually sets up his drone on a field. And then has it take off and fly out about a mile and it, and then it, it's stationary and does a, a, a radius and it searches this radius of maybe, I think, I don't know, 80 feet or something like that in, in very, um, you know, intense mode. And, and then again, looking at a screen, you'd be able to exactly see what was there. So if somebody was lost, um you'd be able to to search in these areas and the area he he flies over is really swampy so like if you were to go out even um you know with with dogs and so forth it it would be very tedious to get through these these areas so he just flies over um and again I'll narrate that this is on YouTube as part 1 is also on YouTube so I urge you to go on to YouTube and watch these you can you can see the whole experience because we do have some different footage that we sh- we we shot actually from the drone. One of the drones. Um I had my my tripod and, and camera up and then I actually I was using my phone to record some other things. So we have some different angles on some of this stuff too. But just the, the, the quick capability. I was so amazed at the speed, the absolute speed of of these drones. It just it, it just completely blew me away. And Preston was saying that the the new drones, um, you know, can go like seventy miles an hour. That, that they can maintain that speed for, you know, a short period of time. So if you're looking at, you know, if it's a police chase or something like that, but even even to get to an area, uh, on a, an emergency, um, there's so many uses where drones are going to come in. And that, that's a big part of this show is we talk a lot about what the, the future of rescue, the future of safety is going to look like, because what tends to happen is we benchmark to the past. We say, well, you know, this is, this is what happened for communication, um, at the World Trade Center in 2001. This was the Murrah building. Like there was a study I talked about that was done on that. And we start, we just benchmark things to the past. The movie Dunkirk came out, great movie, but you know, people will will benchmark and take the World Trade Center Harbor rescue of 500,000 people against the Dunkirk rescue, which, you know, was arguably like 350,000 soldiers, somewhere in that range. Um, and you know it's interesting to do that, but we are entering a whole different realm right now. Again, just think of the fact that you could have at any at any beach, um, you literally could have a a drone, you know, that would be available to the the lifeguard. And the first thing, um, you know, it it probably you know that lifeguard, or if you had a, a team of lifeguards, like the the beaches. In my town, there's typically a, a team of lifeguards. But imagine that you had a drone that you could deploy um, that, you know, you could quickly fly out and it could drop a life buoy as someone else is going out there to, like, you know, get to somebody. Um, and especially, I know I vacation up in, like, the Great Lakes area and Superior and things like that. But, I mean, anybody is caught in, like, a rip current out there, uh, that's, thats that often is fatal. Uh, but if you're able to, you know, have that technology that's available and get it, get things out there in, in time. Um, but it is, it is absolutely amazing. It's exciting. Um, it's affordable. We have people like, like Preston who are dedicated to this and bringing this technology forward in so many ways. Um, and I remember just hearing in closing, I talked about it before we had a, we had this bridge in my hometown. It was one of these steel structure bridges built in the, in the thirties. So it had, all of the steel beams up above and, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty antiquated by the time it was replaced in, in the nineties. So it was held up literally by like, you know, timbers underneath and stuff, but this bridge was decaying. So, um, but if you had a drone, you'd be able to go in and to do surveillance of this, this dro- of, of this bridge, um, in, in pretty fast manner and identify some of the most, um, you know, serious areas where then you need to get somebody to. And, of course, Preston talks about things like, you know, the, these wind turbines, you know, where to send somebody up um, is time intensive plus, you know, is risky. Or if you're to, to take a plane, you know, a small plane, well, then you have to, you know, pay for the fuel and everything like that and and, and try to navigate around and get photos where if you just had the drone, So, uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited and it's actually become something now I'm going to look much deeper in and try to include a little bit more, um, as, as this field develops, um, in safety of what this looks like and maybe talk to the local fire department and ask if they have a drone or if they don't have a drone, um, if they're considering getting one and how they think that they would use that drone. Uh, that's actually going to be a discussion I think I'm, I'm probably going to have. So, um, I, what also surprised me was, you know, you think it's really easy to use a drone and it, it, it it's not, there's, there's quite a learning curve that goes with it. As you can tell from the interface that, that comes up on the screen in, um, the first episode off of, off of the smartphone. Um, so you really need to know what you're, what you're doing and it is GPS connected. So, I mean, it, it does, you know, get 17, 18 satellite signals to always tell it where it is and, and things like that. Um. But it is something that you, you do need some training in and, and, and need to learn those, those skills. But uh, amazing hobby and then also the commercial uses for these, these things. It's, it's just going to be unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. And then we come into safety here on the Safety Doc Show of just what it means. Um, early on when I started this show, you know, less than a year ago, I had Jennifer Fritton on and we talked about uh, search and rescue with her dog Serenade. And just from that to listening to the capability of search and rescue with Preston seems like the interview I did with Jennifer should have been like 10 or 15 years ago um, because of the, the advances in this technology. And certainly there are some things which, which, you know, a drone isn't going to be able to do going to like a heavily wooded area and things like this, but um, the the technology is advancing. It is. It's exciting folks. It's exciting. And again, Do I mow my lawn a little bit higher to preserve a little more space of my own that the FAA can't get into? I don't know. I don't know. Um, But I kind of like it. I like it short like a golf course. I don't, I don't water it though. Um, But anyway, welcome back. Hey, safety doc. Thank you for 41 wonderful episodes and let's get right into show number two, part two with. Preston Rice, we're going to focus here on rescue and uh, the capabilities looking forward for drones uh, specific to
1: safety. Thank you very much for listening
0: to the Safety Doc Podcast.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful Testimonials Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. If I order something off
0: Amazon. My... 10 12 pound gummy bear (laughs) that's right Uh, (laughs) when is it going to be delivered by drone i want that gummy bear delivered by drone yeah why is it not yet (laughs) i hit it um and um you know there's part of me which is still in disbelief that that can actually happen that this that this is is we're going to see this or the pizza hut is going to you know you're going to place your order and and you know the little the, the drone will come down with a little pizza hut you know hat on top of it and and you've already made yeah. your transaction or whatever and you take delivery. But but these things will happen. I mean it's not a matter of if it's 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 when. Um, Tell me, I guess, how close are we? Are there pilots? Sure, well, drill? Are, there, are these things happening already? Or Yeah, I mean, right now, if we have pizza delivered by a drone, it might land on
2: a roof. <laughs> you know, We're still trying to work out the case. I would system, be willing but. to do, get <laughs> the ladder out and get it. So, yes. But they, they, are, they are pushing forward, and because if we look at it from a logistical level, it is more efficient to use a small aircraft. We're not burning fuel. We're not polluting directly by it. the drone itself flying. Um, we're able to send it out faster and more more specifically for one individual person. So um, the reason for doing it is good. Um, There are some setbacks right now, and a lot of this, again, has to do with airspace. And one of the the major rules that we have right now is that we do not fly beyond line of sight. So what this means is us as an operator, we have to always maintain that visual on that drone. So if we are allowing a network or a system to operate these automatically, we have to have systems in place that, that... are able to eliminate that, and we still know that they can operate safely. So I think that is a big hurdle right now in, in these automated deliveries and so on, is, is making sure that we can have systems in place that work safely enough to work on their own without us having to, to babysit them as they work. And I also think that the ADSB, b that, that pilot system that works into these, that I think has also a big impact on this potential delivery. I think if they can prove that it's safe enough, they can equip all of them with ADS-B so we, we can control their point in airspace, I think the possibility of that going forward is much better. Um, it's actually, at this point, Amazon is already developing drones. They already they already have them produced. They're working on their, their, their centers where they want them to exit and fly out of. They're already working on this because they're so confident that this will be available to us in the future. They're ahead of the game, but they want to make sure when they get the
0: approval, they're ready to rock and roll wow I, it's amazing to think how that is going to revolutionize ias yeah, delivery and oh uh, it, it it it's it's fascinating and you know i'm i'm blown away by by that i can imagine if i was a kid today or if i was a kid 20 years from now and the pizza hut is d- is delivering the pizza yeah i would probably be waiting outside for that drone to go up <laughs> and see if there was any yeah. way we could do a wait, wait if there was a pizza that slipped off or something like that and Hey, there it is, but uh wow it is it is amazing the capability and, and we talked again today about the safety aspects of how drones are going to interface, and especially you know you brought up the rescues, and I'm thinking you know national parks, but even like you know storms that come through and it, it it's pretty common when I talk to to Jennifer. Fritten um, with the search and rescue dog too of getting calls of someone with dementia who has who has wandered or a child with autism, and then the means of these rescues um, are very complicated. And as you indicated, introducing a drone to that or a few drones with um, and, and also with with a very specific, um, you know, if there's there's the ability to detect heat signature or something like that, how efficient that process can, can right. be. Which isn't it, it isn't there, you know, it, it, at the moment on large scale. It still is is convening, you know, the search and rescue because I did that interview less than a year with her. Um so wow. Yeah, it's it's the, fascinating. And the military is actually
2: actively using small aircraft that are remotely piloted yeah. right now. In addition to the ones that we know of that we knew about ten years ago, the Predator drones, the larger we're being manned, but those are, are massive aircraft, but they actually are using, and have been using, very small ones as well. Um, there's one that's called the... Uh, I forgot what it's called. The RQ-11B Raven. Okay. This is a small aircraft that the Raven. military has been using for a while now. It's actually a fixed-wing aircraft, but it's something that they developed to be deployed by a soldier real quick for you know quick reconnaissance, or to be able to fly silently and cover a certain amount of area, check for you know a survivor or something. So they are using this particular aircraft already, and I know that they have in development also other multi rotor, what we would consider drone like uh, products being made for their assistance as well. So the military is is very well uh, involved in this right now and realizing the importance of it. Um, there was also another test they did recently. They flew uh, an FA 18 fighter out. I think this is over in California where they did the test at, but they dropped what was basically a swarm of drones. Just dropped it out like they would drop a bomb, and they deployed out, and as they began to fall, they became aware of where they were at by GPS and where the other one was at, networked, and they spread out and they formed basically a perfect swarm. And so they can go and and form a formation and go to a certain location. And they're using this this network of drones that can be deployed on demand to provide a certain task, whatever that may be. So they most certainly are being used. And I think in the future, they will just be used more and more.
0: So... Yeah, for me, I'm I'm very intrigued as far as as you know the hobby aspect of of drones and the appreciation of what commercial drones um, you know bring to the efficiency of of commerce and also you know what we have for rescue. You know, I'm I'm just thinking, um, you know, fire trucks when they when they go out, you know, it's going to be common and and standard for fire trucks to have a drone. Um, unit that would be on the truck and it's going to probably be that way for police. Yeah. Uh, and just mm-hmm. in, in general, that that'll be, and that'll be part of your training is you'll, you'll be taking your course. And by the way, you know, here's how we used to train for this, but now this is a new introduction of the training of technology. And, um, wow, it, it is, it's, it's fascinating and so exciting because I think it, it adds, um, you know, you, you GPS. You know where things things are at. Like you said, you can expose to radiation to maybe toxic areas um, that you couldn't, or or it, it definitely would present a risk to bringing a human into that environment. Um, wow, I'm I'm really excited about it, and I'm going to be doing more research into this area. I've been working with some researchers around the world. Actually who are looking at the interface of artificial intelligence yeah. and rescue. And this is something where few people have really gotten into. Uh, very interesting that people will take current disasters and they tend to benchmark them back to previous disasters. Like um, there was a recent study that came out, I think it was 2014, disaster experts uh, analyzed the rescue at 9-11, the, the World Trade Center, just at the towers, not the entire. Right. But um, and they took it against the Murrah building, and I looked at that and said, "Boy, that's there's so many variables which are completely different from a technology standpoint that I don't think that comparison backwards makes sense." Um, I think to try to make your make the comparison forward, and they just launched the uh, USS Gerald 4 aircraft carrier with the with the rail guns for launching or the, the rail platform, the, the electromagnet. And one of the things is, there are many open spaces in the in the bridge of the of the uh, the Gerald Ford, and the reason is it's for the technology which has yet to be invented. So it's it's for the stuff that'll be there thirty years from now, because it has you know they expect 50, 60 years easily out of this this aircraft carrier, and um, so they're saying this is this is where this will be, and even. Um, you know, some other military uh, craft which are being developed and, and saying, here's why this is intentionally, there's nothing there right now, but here's what will we'll be there probably in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's just amazing. And I know, um, too, the uh, NASA, and I've, I've had communication with a researcher out of NASA who works with flight pilots and also with Navy pilots and in some of, like, the pseudo-Top Gun pilots pilot areas, and they're getting to a threshold right now where very soon they're going to cross over where it's not going to be feasible to, quote-unquote, man an aircraft anymore because of, of how uh, the situational awareness, how fast you have to process yeah, what's coming it's in. It's all complex. That. And, and that's one of the things this researcher had, had told me who's done this for his entire career. Is, is that these subtle changes and, and these quick changes, and even with the systems and then having someone trying to process that, it's getting to be, you know, too much. So you can augment that. Um, but, yeah, this, I think this this is a technology which is proving. It doesn't mean, again, like you're, you're completely separated from the technology, that there isn't somebody involved, but it might not be somebody, like, right there within that, that craft. Right. I, I think in the future that the
2: separation between the human control it is going to Occur. there will be some thing there and of course I can already think right now everybody's thinking about the Terminator now you know the Terminator movies where right. the technology is going to think on its own and take over and I mean who knows but the fact is is that that separation and trusting the intelligence of these things is it, there is a lot of good that can be done from that. We just need to make sure that we can control them in the end <laughs> because in reality artificial intelligence like you're saying it's getting pretty pretty good uh, but there, there's really good reasons why we could use that. You know we, we need that to to supplement things that you know us as a human being we we fall short on. we just can't think of things fast enough in some situations or or we're blinded by the, the shock of a, a certain event that we, we
0: need that assistance to to help out right you, you brought up another great point, and that's you know something um something like this doesn't experience the emotional fatigue or the emotional reaction. One of the things I do is I'm also a county debriefer. Uh, so, I'll work with fire EMS police after traumatic events, but you're not, you know having to debrief a drone. I mean, a drone it, it of course isn't sentient. It's not going to have that ability to to be influenced um, and and have to work through that emotional component, which is really tough for first responders. Um, and that that fatigue factor, nine eleven was was a good example. but um, you know, even even responding, um, you know, to, to fires and so forth. The mm-hmm. fatigue, uh, once, you know, once you have all of the, the gear on and so forth, there is there mm-hmm. is this point where you start to go down, um, you know, with, with how effective you are, just as, you know, with the search and rescue dogs and just the, right. everything else. And really you don't get to that point with a drone until, you, you know, you maintain your effectiveness until you do get to a point where the battery is is depleted and then you'd have to to come back mm-hmm. and then either get a, you know, Put a new battery in, and you can be back out. It's not like you have to take someone out of service as a human and maybe rest yeah. them for eight hours and 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 then, you know, bring them back in. Um, so it, it, it's amazing. I'm excited. This is phenomenal to see. I, I never thought you could have a drone that – that would be so small. I mean, even mm-hmm. even the larger one, which you're showing, which is you know maybe about 18 inches by 18 inches, and that's relatively small. It's about six and a half pounds or so, and that's there are ones that far exceed that. Uh. <laughs> and and so yeah, that that would have been my first you know takeaway too, is I was expecting just something much larger, and and the fact that they're smaller um, is just really cool because you could just mm-hmm. have it in a little pack, and it it can come with you, and and then just all of the neat yeah. commercial. You know, uses and And as that gets smaller we'll move into you know, like the nanodromes, things that are
2: literally the size of a fly. And if you could imagine if you needed to to, to spy on a, maybe a government official or something, you had some really specific task, you could buzz something in that's the size of a fly and nobody would even know. You know, I know it would probably freak somebody out to know that, that could exist, but you know, again it's the, the positive use of it. You know, right. having something that small that can do a certain task, there's
0: all sorts of reasons as to why that could be important. Well, they had the, uh, the Oroville Dam in California, 700 feet high. I think it's the tallest dam in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they extensively used drones once the dam, the spillway started to collapse. And they, they um, had to get in and, and really understand what was going on. And there wasn't a way to do that outside of the Department of Water Resources with California deployed their, their drone force. So the, and they made public their drone footage. Mm-hmm. of what was happening and then they used it to plan out what they needed to do um, and then also they, they show it now to the public. They'll, they'll have regular updates every few days. You can go in, Orville Dam, you just type it in in the DWR, and that will be going on for the next couple of years as they, rep- they repair the spillway and, and they have someone that does right from the top all the way down to the bottom and they pull away and they – and I think that also shows a part of transparency to the public which you know if you just had a few snapshots it's like well what were they taking pictures of that they wanted us to see versus not wanted us to see there's a certain immediacy and transparency and one of the things i've found in my research in safety too is people seem to um, get most anxious about safety if they're not informed mm-hmm. if you give people information that does a ton even if it's information that's that's, that's not positive news for them like, you know, we, we went, we, we've had the drone, we took this picture, and yes, the situation is very dire of this this dam or whatever. Um, well, at least people, like, feel that they have the information. Yeah. But- and, and it's that unknown.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Scale of a 9-11 or, you know,
0: some kind of disaster like that or if there's some, you know, large-scale natural disaster like an earthquake, what is going to be provided through a drone or through multiple drones and then shared out and then someone interpreting that information just does so much to put people's mind at ease. And then, you know, what's funny is that I've found that people that are seeing a drone in
2: flight, for example, and they don't have that available to them, I've noticed people tend to have almost like a drone anxiety. Yeah. People, People will see one flying and go, what... (laughs) <laughs> what What is he doing? Like, is he looking at me? And it's funny, even myself, that I fly all the time, I'm even a little caught off guard when I see a drone flying. My first thought is, well, what are they looking at? You know, But we need we to calm ourselves down and realize that not all these drones out are, are out spying on people. They're not trying to do bad things with them all the time. You know, that they are up there. Yes, they do have cameras on in most cases, but the chances are they probably don't want anything to do with you. You know, there's just this, this, this anxiety that exists uh, currently that, People just don't really know what's happening, and, and that bugs them. And it's funny because there was another story I've heard about um, with people in conversations. When when a, a person walks in on a conversation, i say two people talking, like you and me, they almost zone them out. They're not too concerned about what they're saying. But And you may notice this, though. What happens when you walk into a room where somebody's on their cell phone talking by themselves, you're glued right to them. You want to know what's going on, right? It's because you don't know that other end of it. It's this human curiosity. We want to know what's happening on that other end. And that kind of goes into the drones as well. We see them flying, but we don't know why they're flying. And, and it, it makes some of us anxious. Some people literally have fear of these drones because they just don't know either enough about them or what they're doing. So I think getting the word out there and, and making people aware, aware of what they do and how they operate and, and the good that they do will, will certainly help people understand the importance of them
0: and why that's a good thing as well. And I think, too, it's good. It's how does it work with um, it, as we as we you know wrap up? I, I want to put this question out because th- this is going to happen. Um, you know, if there's a school intruder situation or a school lockdown, the news stations typically will will converge on those sites because those are very you know yep. ca- news capturing you know things. Um, but can a news station you know? They they get so far and then it's police taped off and uh, all of a sudden they want to get a shot an aerial of the school and to see what's going on can they they go up with a drone and go over it? it's like or no way like once that police lines up you better not do that right well right now the the general rule of thumb is if there's an emergency situation
2: going on if you are not directly involved in that you should not be near and that includes a news station as far as them intruded into it um, another great example would be like a forest fire for example there have been people that have operated drones near forest fires and gotten in a lot of trouble because what's happening is they just want to get a shot, but they don't realize that there's, you know, helicopters coming in and out to deliver water, for example, and now they're uh, causing a hazard in the airspace. So we need to understand that by us being a part of a, a critical situation that we may be causing an issue. So basically, if you are not directly involved in it, you really should not be active, at least without without prior approval. You know, if there's like a long standoff of some kind, you know, maybe a new station contacts the police and says, hey, we, we can get a little overshot and, and, you know, we'll have the media to share with the public so they know what's going on. So there may be situations where that's okay, but but in general, if something's going on, if you're not involved in that, you really should understand where you're you're allowed to be. And it's no different than anything else. You know, if there's a, a bank robbery going on and there's cops out there with with guns trying to control it, you're not going to be the lone hero. Well, I'll take care of it. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> the same idea. Wow. It, it extends to the drones as well. It's a self-responsibility. Again, rule number one common sense before anything else should apply to, to, to using
0: They all said, yeah, my initial reaction to a drone is skepticism. I'm not sure why mm-hmm. it's up there. And also they said, "I, you know, I'm like, have you seen drones a lot? And people have said, not, not really. You know, mm-hmm. like it, as much as drones are out there, it's not like um, every day. And, and that's one of the things I, I noted too when I was up in Duluth and Canal Park is this drone had been Positioned um, probably for quite a amount of time, you know, watching and getting this incredible video of this this freighter coming in, and I had totally not noticed it until someone had mm-hmm. specifically pointed out, and it was like, okay, you know, I can understand why that's there, and and so forth. Um, so yeah, I appreciate your time today. Your work sounds amazing, and it sounds like every day there's there's new opportunities definitely that that open up for what your service uh, is going to match and someone's going to say, boy, this, this would be great if I used a drone for blank. <laughs> for blank, yeah. <laughs> yeah versus it. versus a traditional way of, of doing this and who knows what develops. And um, yeah, I, I'm excited for this. This was a big area I didn't know anything about. I feel like I know a whole bunch that's about good. it. Yeah. Now, at least like starting points that I can go in and get more information. Right. And I'm left with, you know, the, the fact of the the amount of technology that's built into these two, like this whole thing of, well, if you lose communication with one, um, it does have its own, you know, program and process to handle that. You know, it just doesn't suddenly fall out of the sky um, and, and, and that the technology gets better where they can you know, interact, identify um, that the videos um, are only, you know, they're one you know, components that you can can use for this, but again, you could also use it for delivery of some things and stuff right. like that. But um, wow, it, it's amazing! I'm excited, and I hope you know the people today. If they have any questions, I'll have uh, Preston's contact information readily available on the blog post, also just in in the description for this show. That'll be available. They can they can contact mm-hmm. you. Uh, or else contact me, too, and, and I can direct them over. So, again, Preston, thank you so much today. And uh, looking forward to what drones you know bring to all of us just for the betterment of life and then also what drones bring to safety. Well, thank you. I, I had a good time on the show, and, and hopefully
2: I helped educate people on uh, drones as they are today. So I, I think it's a good thing. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me.
0: So right now, Preston is in setup mode. We are out here on location, and I'm just going to pan a little bit. Uh, We've got a field and a marsh back there. And uh, as Preston indicated, this takes uh, sometimes up to like 30 minutes to put everything together.
2: No, I meant from the total.
0: Oh, (laughs) all right.
2: (laughs) It'll take me a few minutes to set this one up. Um, Some of the drones I have are literally out of the case and they're ready to go. This one takes a little bit more work to set up, but not by a whole lot. So right now what I'm doing is just putting on the props. They are a quick-release style, so they basically just snap on. Just like any aircraft, you know, we're, we're prepping it for flight. We're making sure that the systems are in check. You know, we don't have any loose screws. Our propellers are all attached firmly. We have a battery that's been fully charged.
0: So do you need to lubricate those at all with any special no, Teflon really. lubricant um, or anything? No, okay.
2: I mean, after you're talking maybe like over 100 hours, there may be things that we'll want to start looking at. Um, it is possible for the bearings to, to go bad in the motors or for like the pivots here to need lubrication, but it's more typical if you're near a coastline with salt water and uh, things like that that are more destructive on the parts. Right now, it, this is the this is the DJI Inspire one. And taking it out of the box like I have, it's basically in travel mode, which means it's flat so that it can fit in the case. So what I'm going to do is power it up, the transmitter and the Inspire. And I will take it out of travel mode so that I can put the camera on it. Usually a lot easier when we're on pavement rather than grass so we're not fighting the what's underneath it. Help it out a bit so it can get stuck. Turn it off so that I can put the camera on. Yeah, it's cloudy today so I'm actually going to switch out this filter. This is an ND filter similar to what you would use on uh, any camera. And the filter is basically just kind of like wearing sunglasses for
0: the camera.
2: And it is also polarized and has an anti-reflective coating. So basically it just uh, allows me to produce a better picture out of what I'm shooting.
0: So right now, Preston is assembling this drone. So we are out in a field, and about 200 yards out, it enters into a swamp area. So he's going to fly this drone over the swamp area again right now. He's putting this together on a single charge. This drone will fly for about 12 to 15 minutes. Uh, It can go really high. I don't know, like a mile high. You can go several miles out. You can be stationary, zoom in on an area. It's amazing.
2: The last time I flew, there may have been some bugs in the air,
0: so let's get oh. those off the lens. <laughs> so there's a lot of work that goes into kind of pre-flight, uh, getting this ready. So he's he's checking over the lens, checking over his battery connections, making sure the rotors are connected um, tightly. So yeah, it does have this this time maybe of of five to eight minutes. You know, where it's a full setup for for the drone. He's unpacking it out of its case, uh, but still, I mean, think of a search and rescue. Um, that's that's not much time at all. Um, Wow, this is amazing. So that camera records in, is it 4K?
2: It can record up to 4K. Okay. Um, I typically shoot in 1080, which is basically full HD, and I do that because that allows me to shoot at 60 frames per second on this particular model. So if I'm shooting at 4K, I'm limited to right around 30 frames per second, and the higher frame rate, yields a smoother picture, so that's typically what I like to do in this case.
0: Oh, sure. There are
2: drones now that are being produced that will shoot at 4K at a higher frame rate than this camera right now. Um, So the next thing I need to do is hook up my mobile device, which I typically use an iPad because it's larger. But I'm going to be using my phone today so that I can capture the screen recording so that we can see how the application interfaces with the aircraft. And this is where I will see everything, the aircraft data, Um, the battery level, everything that that basically needs and sees will show up on here.
0: So you can go to the Safety Dock YouTube channel and watch this on YouTube and see what is going on right now. Preston is hooking up the drone command center. It is phenomenal. Check this out, Safety Dock, on YouTube so you can see what I'm talking about. And then this charges through a USB port or special battery charger. How does that work?
2: Um... Are you referring to the, the battery for the, the aircraft or both?
0: Uh, probably for both.
2: Yeah, um, they, they have basically a charger that's unique to them. And so the battery has its own connection that it charges through. And that same charger has a port for the transmitter right here. And basically it will charge the battery until it's completely charged, at which point it shuts off. So it's all automated and smart in terms of its ability to Parts
0: of the battery. So again, we are in a city park right now, located maybe about two, three miles from our city airport, and Preston is getting ready to fly this drone. That drone will operate at speeds up to 30, maybe 40 miles an hour, but there are newer versions which can go highway speed.
2: Yeah, this one's actually rated up to right around 50 miles per hour. Um as they've updated the firmware through the years, they've kind of s- slowed it down a little bit, okay, um, due to various reasons for that. But um, but yes, yeah, so the newer ones now are approaching 70 miles per hour oh, pretty easily. Goodness. And we're talking forward flight, not counting if you're riding a tailwind or gaining some other speed that way. Well, at this point, I'll turn it on, and what you'll see is this camera down here is basically going to do a self-check on startup. spins around and checks for its center location.
0: So right now the drone is sitting on its plastic case, and sure. the camera is turning around. It's Here. getting its orientation, and this drone is going to be taking off. It's like, hey, who are these two guys? <laughs> Attack! No, Great. no, no. The AI is taking off. <laughs>
2: So at this point I'm recording so we can see what is happening on here, so, you know, this is something that you can uh, bring up on the screen so we can see better what I'm looking at. But basically my mobile device is connected to the remote, the remote is connected to the aircraft, and it forwards everything that I need to know right to this screen right here. There is a, an application that we download that is specific to this product line, and that's what we are using to interface with
0: this aircraft. This is all available on the YouTube version of the Safety Doc Podcast. The drone is preparing. I'm hoping this works,
2: because this is a new phone, and I've yet to test it with with the software. Sometimes with the Android devices, you have the the USB. It doesn't forward stuff correctly, so Ah. right now it's not showing up when it should be. I've had this problem before, though, so let me start over and see if I can it up so I'm just going to do what I did again. If that doesn't work I'll have to use the iPad in which case we won't have the, the overlay which would be unfortunate. But...
0: So the drone is made of plastic or is there some type of other composite that it's made out of?
2: Well um, yeah I mean the what you're seeing here in white is mostly plastic. The whole gimbal and even this piece of white here is aluminum. Um, these beams are carbon fiber which is very lightweight, very strong. Um, the in, inner framework here, a lot of that is aluminum, so it's kind of a hybrid of different components, depending
0: on what it's being used for. I was amazed at just how technical it, the controller was.
2: All right, let's see next time. It's usually not this difficult. Again, just I haven't used this phone yet, so.
0: Takes, so one thing Preston and I talked about afterwards is there's a, there's a learning curve with the drone, definitely, and getting familiar with it. And there's a panic that can come in if you have a new drone, you're flying it, and you're a novice, and all of a sudden you, it, you lose contact there with go, it. There we go. All right. Again, he is working to get this drone so it links up with his smart device, and then he's going to control it right from his smart device. It should start up momentarily. But again, there's a learning curve to this, folks. It's much more complicated than what it looks like. Uh, it's a fun hobby, but hey, it's going to take some time time to learn it. All right, looks like we are live on the screen. I was thinking, oh my goodness, don't hand the controller to me.
2: <laughs> so what I do before I fly is I check the status bar, which is on the top here, and check to make sure that everything is good to go. In this case, the, the aircraft is actually due for a firmware update. Um, it won't affect the safety of the flight today, but it's something that I will do uh, later on. But what is important is that we calibrate the compass. Okay. The compass is directly responsible for the GPS location. So basically the GPS says, I'm here. And let's say the wind blows me two feet this way. It's the compass's job to say, I need to get back that way. And that's where that position hold is taking effect. So if the compass is not accurate, neither is the GPS. Gotcha. So you always calibrate the compass before any flight. So I'm going to head out here where I'm away from other electronic devices.
0: So is walking about 15 feet away from me. So we see where I start. So this is always fun because uh,
2: you typically get some good looks when you do this. So we hit OK to calibrate. And what I have to do is rotate 360
0: degrees. So right now he is standing up with the device and he is just turning in a circle, turning in a complete circle. And I will face it down, rotate 360 again. Sometimes you have to go just a little bit past. That is the way to prepare the drone so it recognizes where it's at and also that it identifies itself to 17-18 satellites.
2: At this point we're ready to fly so I'll go ahead and take off.
0: Okay, so a little more setup to this than what I think people in general would think, you know, with the need to calibrate and...
2: Right, yep, the calibration is really important. That's one of the biggest reasons why Um, Drones end up crashing or or going out of control is because they either skip that step or they don't do it properly.
0: That's the sound of the engine. Sounds like a whole bunch of kind of mosquitoes or bees or whatever it could be. But right now that drone is hovering. At this point I've just taken off. It's
2: keeping itself steady where it's at. Seven feet off the ground. The GPS is basically holding the position. It's usually accurate within, within about a foot or two, but it uh, really depends on how windy it is and whether or not the GPS lock is very good. At this point, I'm actually connected to 17 satellites.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay, um, 17 satellites.
2: Yeah, this particular aircraft, uh, let get back a wave it bit so we can hear. This is able to acquire signals not only from the, uh, the satellites that the, the United States use, Uses, but it also can connect to GLONASS, which is basically the Russian satellite network. So we're using two networks of satellites, and we get a lot better uh, signal as a result. So the drone is
0: hovering about 7-8 feet off the ground, maybe about 25 feet away.
2: So at this point, I'm ready to fly. So what I'll do is I'll take the landing gear and bring it up, which basically position, positions the battery on the bottom. Or, I'm sorry, the camera on the bottom. So now we can see the camera is the lowest uh, piece on the craft. And that's so that when I'm flying that the camera cannot be uh, picking up on anything on the aircraft like the props that would get in the way. So at this point we can really see how well the gimbal works. So if I rock it like so, let me get the camera pointing towards us. So what we can see is what I'm seeing and I'll rock
0: this. So right now the drone is rocking back and well forth just like a cradle and steady. the camera is staying steady. The drone's electronics are keeping that camera steady. Well, that's really the beauty of
2: these is you can fly the aircraft the way you want and still get a really steady picture.
1: At
2: this point I'm ready to take off so we'll do a little bit of flying around here and then we'll go into some of the smart features and take a look at the fail-takes.
0: So right now it's ascended maybe up to almost 100 feet.
2: So keeping in mind that the FAA wants us to keep this in line of sight, but the actual capability of the aircraft is literally several miles. We could fly this if we had uh, a good connection. So right now go on YouTube
0: and you can see this. You can see what's happening.
2: Again, if I stop in midair, we can see it just hangs there and waits for me to uh, do what I want to do next. Now I am able to override the GPS, so for example, if I switch off the GPS, which I'm going to do right now, you can see it will start to drift, and what the drift that's occurring right now is due to the wind. So that is what the GPS is actually accounting for when it's flying normally and using that to hold its position steady. So that if I flip it back on, we stop. And that is basically what the GPS is doing to uh, keep it going in a direction or keep it fixed where you want it to be. Wow. At the same time, if I want to go forward, you can see the line that it's tracking is perfectly forward. It's not really drifting off left to right. And again, it's using that GPS to maintain its heading, along with the compass and everything else that it needs to to maintain that.
0: Drone is a is a few hundred feet away from us right now, folks. It's up in the air, and uh, it is moving around smoothly, seamlessly. The application data that's available
2: to me is is very sophisticated. So what we can actually see we look on here, not only do we have um, the camera view, which we're looking at, but in the bottom left-hand corner here, we have the map, which is tied to Google Maps. And if I bring that up... Again, go online, check
0: this out on YouTube, and you sorry, can actually button. see what is going on. with.
2: So we can actually see our position according to the map data that's available around here. So it knows where it's at. Um, it actually pulls this data from an online source. So if you aren't connected to a cellular network or you don't have a Wi-Fi signal, the map won't be populated. You'll just simply see where the aircraft has been and where it is now.
0: Drone is hovering a few hundred feet above us.
2: So in addition to this, I can also go into other various uh, information portions of this app right here that I'm looking at is the battery data. So we can see the cell voltage of each individual cell. We can see the temperature of it. We can see the battery life remaining. Um, It's very important to check on that once in a while. It's basically like, Flying in an airplane, we need to make sure how much gas is left in it. Yes. But we don't always have to go in that to see. Um, at the very top of this application, we can see a bar that runs across. And what that bar is, where it's green, going to yellow, and going to red, that is keeping track of how much battery is remaining left in this. And it's smart because it knows how much it needs to get back to the home point, which is here. When we took Ooh. off, it took a GPS coordinate saying that this was our home point. So it will return back to home. When it, needs, when it needs to, when the battery is low enough that it deems necessary to come back. So if I were to fly you know, 1,000 feet out and let it hang there, it would end up returning to home faster than if it was just sitting right here because it knows it needs that time to bring itself back. At the same time, these fail-safes that are built in, this return to home, I could force it into return to home, or if literally the controller were to fail or to simply turn it off, the aircraft would realize that, go into fail-safe mode, and come back home and land where I took off from. So for example, I'll demo that right now. So it's over here and I'm gonna hit return to home and what's gonna do, it's gonna confirm that it wants to return to home. It will ascend straight upwards to the altitude that it is currently set at, which is adjustable. So at this point I have it set pretty high so that I clear anything within the way. Once it hits its predetermined altitude, it'll make a beeline right over here to us and then drop straight back down where it will be able to land. Watching
0: this on YouTube, it looks like it's in the middle of a thunderstorm. Nope, just a cloudy day, folks.
2: And of course, all this data is available to me on the app. Right now, we're approaching 300 feet. We're about 110 feet from our home point, and it gives me the vertical speed and the horizontal speed as well. Wow.
0: It's very high. So again, this is in a city park. A couple people looking on right
2: now. So I'm going to cancel that because I do have it set pretty high at this point. I'm higher than I'd like to be basically just flew as high as I can legally fly in this area. Um, Because I'm licensed in in part 107, um, I have the ability to fly 400 feet over the nearest structure. In this case, these trees are probably approaching 75 to 80 feet at their peak, so I basically can go that plus 400 feet is my legal minimum. But what would happen right now if the return to home was allowed to continue, gonna come right back to where we are. It'll stop and it'll descend straight down on our location. Typically the accuracy on this model is within a few feet but it's plenty enough to get you home no matter where it's now, at. Once the
0: drone gets about 50 to 75 feet away it, it's quiet you don't hear it so if it is hovering above a property you would never know it's there. Now it's coming down. You can hear it. A swarm of bees, that sound? That's the drone. It's coming straight down, maybe about 20 feet in front of us. You can hear it getting louder.
2: One of the neat things that this has is it's intelligent in the fact that it can fly itself. So we do have uh, smart flight modes that we can use. And a good example of that would be what's called point of interest. The so point of interest is basically going to keep us, in this case, as a center point, and I'm going to set the radius as how far I want it to be away from us, and it will simply go into an automated flight routine circling around us, keeping the camera pointed relatively on our position, and it will continue to do this until I tell it to stop. So I'm going to go into point of interest.
0: So right now, what Preston is doing is creating a radius, and that is where the drone will stay, it will continue the circle. to circle, the camera a bit, and you can imagine how valuable this would be for search and rescue. Imagine a four-year-old boy with autism is lost. You can hover over an area and sweep that with video, and it can come down on a screen that you plug into, so you can actually be looking at a large monitor or somebody watching that and say, hey, look right there, I see something. Go back to that area. Right. So I'll fly over to
2: the top of us. I'm going to get up a bit higher so I can clear the trees, even though I don't think I'll be getting close to them. I'm going to look straight down on the camera. So again, folks, check this this out on YouTube. It is
0: amazing. It is amazing. I'm so surprised by the speed of the drone. How fast it can go up, how fast it goes forward, backwards. I didn't expect that.
2: Basically, what I'm going to do is apply my position right now. I'm going to back away to set
0: my radius. Search and rescue is going to be a huge area for drones in the future. And it's probably going to replace uh, search and rescue dogs in a number of cases. I, I, I just see it. it. It is such an incredible technology.
2: And I've got about a 57-foot radius right now, so it's pretty close. I'll hit start,
0: and I will set the direction. You can hook infrared up, so you could go and look for somebody who is hiding in a cornfield. That's a idea. Well, it will operate in that 57-foot radius and take an image of what's below it. Right. Okay. And imagine what this can do at night in finding heat signatures at night. And it's flying over swampy area, too, at times. Speed it up a bit so it goes a little bit faster.
2: All right, so at this point, it's flying around us. And it's doing a... Relatively perfect circle around us, keeping us in the center. So at this point, it is basically flying itself. I don't have to do anything. It's keeping its course, and if something were to happen, it would be able to find its way back to home. Just come right back to where it was. If the battery is getting low or we continue to ignore it and just let it fly until the battery is low, it would know to come back. So this is one of the nice things you can do with an intelligent drone like this is we can set up these flight routines so we can get complex shots a lot easier than if we were manning it ourselves. Um, in this case, point of interest, it's somewhat difficult in the sense that, you know, trying to keep an, an absolute perfect circle is not easy. Right. But if we're doing this, you know, a 500-foot radius and doing that full entire circle, it can do that with a high degree of accuracy while keeping the camera over. In a at. search
0: and rescue situation, folks, this would be incredible to go up and get an image of what is happening below.
2: At this point, am, my battery is at 33%, so we're getting pretty low, typically around uh, 25 to 30% is when I want to start thinking about landing, and 10% is basically considered critical. So we don't want to go any lower than that, but again, when the battery warning goes off, we should be thinking about coming back in.
0: So fully charged, this will run for 10 to 15 minutes?
2: Right around there, yeah. It depends okay. on, on how hard you push it. Right now, we're just hovering, which is, is not using a lot but we've been fine for quite a while. So at that point, that beeping right there is the battery warning. You can see that it's red. So if I were to continue to ignore this, what's going to happen is if we look up on top menu here, this bar that is counting down, it actually gives you a time estimate of what it thinks it has. Okay. When it hits that yellow amount, there's also a tiny little H on the screen. That is when it deems it's necessary to return to home. So at that point, it'll say returning to home. It gives you the option to cancel it. But if we ignore that it's going to return to home on its own and land itself. So you really can't run it out of power and and cause an issue that way so long as you are paying
0: attention to what's happening. So when we think about a drone and expending the battery it returns to home and then we can replace the battery and quickly get that drone back in service.
2: It is ignoring the compass and the GPS which is basically what will happen in the event of a compass error or some other kind of interference that's actually affecting that System from working properly, and we'll see the effects of that.
0: So GPS I mean losing contact with the satellite system up above, not with a cellular system
2: right yeah, okay. it's, it's a satellite you know it's referencing the, the signal from the satellites in order to calculate its position. Um, typically when we, when we lose GPS it's not most of the time it's not a result of the GPS receiver itself, it's that the compass is having an issue. And a GPS can't work without the compass working properly. Okay. So you could lose GPS if you're flying underneath a structure, like a bridge maybe, or you're inside a building. So that will affect it. But more often than not, it's a compass issue, and the compass is very sensitive to anything metallic. So if you're by um, a vehicle, you have your cell phone in your pocket, and that's emitting a um, basically a magnetic field that can affect it. Um, even if you calibrate a compass before you fly and you're standing over the top of a sewer drum, sewer drain, maybe that's underneath the ground that you couldn't see, that could affect your calibration, which will affect how it works. So there's a whole safety aspect and understanding of how it works so that you don't have an issue with that system because that's critical to the way that it flies.
0: So obviously power lines, anything metallic, you want to be very aware of that in the environment. So at this point, I don't need to
2: calibrate the compass again because we are still here on the same day. We haven't uh, changed locations. We're not miles away. Um, Basically, there's no reason to recalibrate since our last calibration in this location was good.
0: So this comes into a misconception. I think people think, well, cellular goes down, then GPS goes down. But if you're operating a drone, for example, in a rescue, if cellular went down, doesn't impact you. Um,
2: it has nothing to do with what this is operating on. Um, th- this is pulling the signal literally from the satellites. It's they're talking to each other in a sense that they you know the, the calculations are being made on, on that end of it so it's literally between those two and the communication of this and everything I'm seeing is directly through the aircraft and the controller. It's its own system so nothing externally except for you know a very high amount of interference would affect what I am seeing right here. Go ahead and take off. The home point has been taken. You'll notice when I started up the motors, it said like go. But the home point has been recorded, so that's what it does when I start the motors. It's taking that spot as the home point. I can update the home point manually if I wanted to, but in this case, there's no reason to do that. It's good enough. So what can happen though? If we were out here flying and we encountered a, a compass error, we're going to lose GPS assistance and we're going to lose the compass assistance. So right now because we're in GPS, what's gonna happen? Let's say I go forward, hold my hands on the sticks, and it breaks. So it stops and it holds its position. We'll do it again going this way. And it stops. Um, same thing when I'm changing direction. You can see that the aircraft is gonna go in that direction. It's trying to go where it I'm telling it to go, and the GPS is allowing it to go. So let's say we had a compass here. Or we lost GPS for some reason. As a pilot, we need to know how to correct that situation. So at this point, I'm taking it out of GPS mode. You see the wind is starting to affect it. And if I hit, if I go forward and in the am out You can see that it drifts a lot more. There's no position hold. At this point, it's just floating away on its own. So for a new pilot, this can be pretty scary. You're you're not know uh, sure right. to do right now. But, it's, well,
0: my drone's you know, gone. It's
2: going away. Basically, I am rolling with the wind, and I have no way to stop the position that I'm in right now. And that's actually going pretty good, and we only have a very light breeze today. We'll put it back in GPS mode to regain our control. But, the fact is, as good as the systems are, they do have their issues once in a while, and it's important to practice that. If you're owning a piece of equipment like this, you need to know how to use it in all of the modes. Because when something goes wrong, that particular mode right there is what you'll have to bring it back in. So it's very important to understand what you're using and basically how to handle problems when they come in. They're not terribly likely. It is very
0: um, reliable, but they do happen. So again, GPS failure is likely not due to a satellite failure. It's due to the compass and uh, the ability right. to connect with the satellite from the device.
2: Yeah, or there's a view problem,
0: like I said, underneath the truck. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, let's see, what should we talk about here? Well, one thing I'd like to point out on this this particular model is that... Um, so I'll have to come down a bit for that. The ability to get really complex shots is just so much easier than it used to be. So right now, when I turn the aircraft, the camera's going with it. This is basically what's called, like, the follow mode. So where where I'm pointing the aircraft is also where the camera's going. But this one has the ability to do free mode as well. You can see in the free mode... I can do what I want with the aircraft and our camera is still positioned where we need it to be. So this is great because I can fly the aircraft in line of sight and I can have a second person working the camera and it doesn't matter how much I move this while I'm rocking it or twisting, we can keep that lock right on us. So that's how they're getting these really incredible shots. It's that easy. <laughs> so to speak. Amazing! I can be basically completely backwards and it's still looking right at us. Put it back in the follow mode and now I have it back the way that it was before I was just flying with it normally.
0: A huge appreciation to Preston Rice for demonstrating the drone possibilities as far as search and rescue. Now again, folks, go to YouTube and check this out. Uh, He took the drone and flew it over a field and then into kind of a swampy area, even a little bit of a brushy wooded area. And think of trying to take a rescue um, search dog back there. You know, it would take time, even if you're walking through that, this murky swampy area, yet you can get in with a drone in the matter of, I think we counted down, like 9 or 10 seconds to get, you know, 1,000, 2,000 feet out and start to do the search. Just absolutely amazing. So thank you again to Preston Rice. And you can learn more about Preston. Just go online and do a search for Madison Area Drone Service. Madison Area Drone Service. Um, he does residential, commercial, agriculture, special operations, repairs, drones, Preston is phenomenal. I am going to be doing an upgrade of my audio equipment uh, for field interviews and definitely want to have Preston on again um, later on so we can we can do another demonstration of a field rescue. I think I'm going to hide something a few blocks away and, and, and then we'll do a search for it. Although I don't want to walk out in night and swap and get ticks and whatever, but, um, you know, Hey, anything for the show right thank you to john grant and the 405 media for airing the safety doc podcast thank you for listening to the show um and i i do know the audio is a little a little challenging in in some of these field episodes um so i am working to improve that and i promise you that that will continue uh, to sharply improve in the near future Again, thank you for listening to the Safety Doc Podcast, and hey, stay safe, everybody.